Hi everybody, you're listening to The Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our lovely listeners. Thank you so much for our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. Hey, Renee, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's truly a pleasure. To get us started today, Renee, can you tell us how you became aware of rope bondage in the first place? Uh, so <laughs> that's kind of a longish story. Uh, yeah, I'll all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it as brief as possible. I, um, when I was when I was younger, I uh, someone did something not very nice to me when I was a teenager, and uh, someone who that I knew, a woman that I knew. Uh, noticed that I was struggling with that <laughs> and uh, she was she noticed that I was you know I had no concept of what boundaries were or anything like that and so she gave me a book called screw the roses send me the thorns mm-hmm. and uh, and she said here you need to read this she's like you're a bit young to be doing anything about it yet but she said you know there is such a thing as a place where you know your boundaries and you know the ability to say yes and no are listened to and respected and uh strangely enough so that's where it started <laughs> so i got this book and i just devoured it and uh i definitely started in this field younger than most <laughs> i think i was 14 <laughs> okay but uh i mean yeah it just it just fascinated me so much i mean the rope and the you know the more complicated scenarios of bdsm i was just like this is awesome <laughs> this lights my brain up and how do you transition from this fascination and potentially those fantasies into doing something about it i definitely i took her advice and i waited until i was older and really understood what consent really was mm-hmm. um, obviously the 14 year old you think you understand but you don't and i knew that i didn't know <laughs> So I waited until I was older. Uh, and I mean, it definitely, it was just like, it was such a curiosity for me, you know, of, you know, having, you know, being young and having trust and boundaries violated so young. And then to have, as you get older to, you know, start experimenting with these safe places and then creating scenarios that normally your brain goes like, this is unsafe, this is unsafe. But then, you know, learning to trust um, and then, you know, uh, learning to understand, you know, how to, you know, if you're, if you're doing the tying, how to manage somebody's emotional state and their physical state, you know, managing their, their mental and physical endurance. And then on the flip side, being on the opposite end of that and having somebody else managing and learning how to communicate clearly. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a long process, but I I was just like fascinated by it. I just thought it was so interesting. (laughs) And did you first approach rope as a photography subject or did you first play with it and then later photograph it? 
Yeah, I definitely, I started playing with it first before I started uh, doing any photography of it. Uh, I mean, photography, I didn't start shooting photography very seriously until I was in my mid-20s. And I had been playing, you know, with with all forms of pain and suffering <laughs> before then for, for many years. And how did your rope journey develop? Because I know you faced some challenges on that. Yeah, well, uh, when I was 25, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident. I ride motorbikes. Um, and when I was riding to work one day, I got hit and run over. And so I had to learn how to walk again. And I it was the first time where my relationship with pain really changed. Um, which was an interesting shift because up until that point I had, I had a very, very, very high pain tolerance. And I mean, I did like uh, years of dance and martial arts and stuff like that. And so, you know, on top of, you know, the BDSM world, I, my world was <laughs> a lot of, like, I just hurt all the time and, and it, it felt good. And when I was run over and, you know, learning how to walk again and my leg would just re-break and re-break and re-break when I was learning to walk again, I actually tapped out on pain, which I did not expect. It, it changed for me. Um, and, you know, also now I have a lot of metal in my body. So, like, the amount of ties that people can, that I can receive, like, they're just boring and they're uninteresting to me now. Um, you know, cause there's only so much, it's like, oh, I can tie my wrists together and that's kind of it. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, because I've also, you know, I've had broken ribs and a few other things and it's just, it's not a good pain anymore. It, mm. It's, it's a, oh, this is actually physically breaking me down in a way that is not repairable. <laughs> um, so it, it did change my relationship with that a lot and, it was hard to let go and hard to adapt to that new reality. But um, I think I found a, a very interesting place with it now because I approach it now from like a voyeur almost standpoint, right? I mean, I love to create these images where, you know, I mean, knowing what it feels like when, you know, you're suspended and, and like that, like the burning pain, but then, you know, when the endorphins hit and your eyes get glossy and like it feels so free, Right. It, well, for me anyways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I wanted to be able to portray that visually in photography. And I found that at least at the time, a lot of the Shibari work that I was looking at, you know, it was really focusing on like the physical discomfort of it, you know, and the, like the, the dis discolored limbs and the rope burns and everything else. And I was like, yeah, but there's a beauty to it. There's this like softness and this gentleness to it that I felt I wasn't really seeing represented visually. So from a photography standpoint, that was definitely where once I started photographing it, um, you know, that part kind of just came really naturally of like, you know, what does this feel like as opposed to what, you know, lights up the, the sadistic part of my brain where it's like, oh man, it looks like I hurt so bad. I love it. <laughs> but the, you know, how do we find like that, that peace and that, that calmness within and how do we, how do I display that? That's and how do you it. find that inspiration? So when you're um, deciding on a rope shoot, how do you decide what to what to shoot? Uh, I mean, mostly it's a conversation with who I'm working with as far as who's doing the rigging. If I'm working with a self-tying artist or if I'm working with a rigging crew and the subject itself, the bunny, um, you know, how are you feeling today? Did you get enough sleep last night? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's definitely for me anyways, I'm definitely going off the vibe and like how everyone's feeling and I mean, there's shoots that we've done some days, like um, the, the the mermaid, the suspend, the shibari mermaid. 
And I mean, that those ties are crazy because she has like another 60 pounds of silicone mermaid tail attached to her. So yeah, that chick is tough as nails. On on your typical shoot, is it just you, the person tying the rope and the person being in rope or are there other helpers and members of the team like makeup artists? Um, I mean, so sometimes we have makeup artists. So with the, um, there's the Icarus shoot. We had a makeup artist, and same with the with the mermaid. We had a makeup artist, but most of the time people are doing their own makeup. But I do have, I mean, we have a pretty extensive safety crew because, I mean, the difference with these is, I mean, most of these people are performing shibari models. Most of them, not all, um, but I mean, I like it's it's for photography. It's not so much for a play session. So I'm really, really, really cognizant of safety on these things because. I mean, some of some of these, like there's one girl that we did, uh, she had, we tied her by her neck and her ankles mm-hmm. and just suspended her, you know, very, very quickly. I mean, I think I got four shots off before she was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. So what what kind of safety measures do you take to try to mitigate the risk as much as possible in those shoots? Yeah, I mean, so I always try to make sure that the subject, you know, whoever we're we're tying up, they either have a friend or boyfriend or husband or wife or whatever, um, you know, they have a, a safety person there because sometimes we can push these if, you know, if they're, they want to. So the mermaid is a really good example of, you know, like she really had to push herself for some of these. And, you know, so we have like her partner there and then, you know, friends and food. And, you know, we always get like little donuts and stuff and like <laughs> stuff to drink. And then we have, um, you know, uh, these big crash mats. So these climbing mats, the big thick mats that we put underneath them. Um, you know, obviously, you know, worst case scenario of something, if someone is ever to fall or something, they're just going to fall onto one of these mats. Yeah. Um, and then we have people to help lift, you know, people to take the pressure off their bodies. If, you know, it's like, again, with the mermaid or the, the Icarus, you know, because they have these really heavy, um, appendages on their bodies. So uh-huh. it adds to the weight and it makes it a lot more intense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we have, you know, people who are helping, um, you know, with the counterweight because we use a pulley system to lift somebody up into the ceiling. Okay. So my studio has about a 25 foot ceiling. And so we rig them right up to the roof. Wow. And so, you know, we can pull someone quite high if we need to. So like with the mermaid, for example, we need a lot of length because the tail adds a lot more feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It needs to be able to droop down into the frame. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, her, her head is like 15 feet in the air, <laughs> if not higher for some of these. Um, so yeah, it's making sure that they, you know, the subject have their people there that help them feel safe. Um, and then, you know, having somebody, you know, one person, their job is, 
you know, okay, as soon as the subject says that they're done, like get underneath them and lift so that they, the pressure is taken off of whatever anchor point that they're on. Mm -hmm. And um, then with the pulley system, that means if you need to go down in a rush, I suppose you can lower the whole apparatus as opposed to having to untie the person one line at exactly. a time. Exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's the biggest reason why we use a pulley system, mm -hmm. um, is just that if someone needs to get down, like right now, we can get someone underneath them take the pressure off and then lower them safely onto the crash mat. Yeah, that's awesome. So, that's, I mean, that's, that's similar to what I use in my studio, but obviously I don't have quite the same production <laughs> value as you do. Oh, that might, <laughs> a 25 foot ceiling. Well, oh, I would kill for a 25 foot height. I'd be so sure. scared as a bunny. Um, yeah, okay, that's The heights true. thing would that's add the, a whole the what new time fear. we put you high up, you, you were a bit scared. Uh, Rene, you also <laughs> oh, have this amazing article, which we'll definitely link to in the show notes, when, where you give mm -hmm. a lot of safety advice to models and performers. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so I started in the modeling industry at 13 years old. Uh, that was how I got started in this industry altogether as I was signed to a modeling agency. And I mean, I'm 37 now at, at the time of recording. <laughs> so I've been in this industry for a really long time. And I just kept noticing over and over again these, these glaring <laughs> safety infractions that were happening for, for models and photographers and performers, you know, everyone on set. There, there's so many ways to create safe spaces that people, so that people can work and to create spaces where predators, you know, regardless of what, you know, where they come from, um, you know, we give them places that they're in a vacuum where they can't be predators. And so I wrote this extremely long, extremely long blog post about it. And I had some people say like, well, why don't you just make it shorter? I'm like, because it doesn't cover everything that I want to. <laughs> well, I, I found it uh, very much worth reading to the last word. Yeah. Um, I think the length I is completely so justified. That. What, what lessons from that post do you think would be most um, important for those involved in rope shoots? Oh my God, shibari shoots. So you should never do a shibari session, especially suspension, if you've never been in rope before. <laughs> yeah, okay, definitely. I get, oh my God, so many people, they reach out to me and they're like, oh, I would just love to have a shibari shoot. I'm like, well, have you ever been before? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then no. <laughs> um, you know, people who are serious, what I'll do is I'll set them up with my with the rigger. I work a lot with Heidi and I say like, you know, okay, you need to go practice and you need to learn with Heidi. You need to learn the difference between good and bad pain. You know, what, when it's okay for something to hurt and the, you know, when, like what nerve pain feels like and when it's like, oh, this is, this is not good. <laughs> um, and also, you know, that a lot of people, if they've never done shibari before, especially suspension, I mean, as you guys know, sometimes people just freak out. Like you can yeah. have a super experienced bunny and you're just tired or you had a weird dream or your headspace is just not quite where it normally is. And, you know, we, the other, one of the safety things we always make sure is that we have, um, safety scissors on set just in case anyone ever needs to be cut out. If they just, mm. you know, lose their marbles one day and they're just like, nah, <laughs> mm. I need this to stop now. Um, but I mean like working with people that you trust, you know, building a safe, you know, reputation, you know, working with people who, are not going to endanger that reputation. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so, there's so many, so many things, but I mean, more than anything, I think understanding and paying attention to how people handle the word no is a big one. I mean, even with, with clients and with, with rope bunnies or rigging teams or whatever, how do they handle the word 
no, when you're in the negotiation stage of, do we want to work together? And you say like, you know, they, they suggest an idea and you know, your brain is like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. You know, tell them, tell them, no, tell them you're not really comfortable with that. And then just see how they handle it. And if they are really offended or whatever, then, you know, maybe that's someone that maybe you shouldn't really be working with. <laughs> that's a really cool test and very practical, like something the listeners can definitely apply in the real world. Uh, Rene, as a photographer and a digital artist, you clearly have a super developed eye for images. When you look at other people's robe photography, what do you look for and what do you like more or less in the photos you see online, for instance? I mean, some of the rope work that I, that I love to look at is um, some of the stuff shot on location because I hate shooting on location. I totally <laughs> hate it. <laughs> I don't like being outside. I don't like bugs. I don't like people looking at what I'm doing. And the ironic part is I'm quite an exhibitionist, but for some reason when it comes to photography, I'm just like, I want to live in my head. You know, when I want to live in a little tiny ecosystem and I don't want the real world poking me. <laughs> uh, but there, there's a, a group, I think it's a couple, they're in New York State or something like that. And they do this great urbex yeah. uh, shibari photography. And it's it's so interesting because it's completely opposite of anything that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously, I look for beautiful lines and, you know, pointed toes and all that kind of stuff because I come from a dance background. Okay. But, um, you know, at the same time, I've seen some really beautiful thought provoking work that doesn't pay attention to any of those rules and it breaks all of the normal compositional lines. And I mean, I think more than anything, I look for innovative work. I look for stuff that's new and refreshing and, oh, I never thought about that before. I love that, you know, because I think that's the fun thing about being a creative person, regardless of how you choose to display it is when somebody comes along and they're like, Hey, you know, this is like what the wheel normally looks like. Well, what if we did this to it? And everyone's like, mm -hmm. Oh man, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you mentioned you hate shooting on location. Is that what pushed you towards making composites? Uh, well, <clears throat> pardon me. What pushed me towards making composites was, uh, well, how I got started in photography was the motorcycle crash. Okay. And I wasn't able to walk. I had to learn how to walk again. And like I mentioned earlier, my leg just kept re-breaking when I was learning to walk again. So it was just a really, really painful process. And I was just like, well, my rent is still due. <laughs> and I've been doing this photography thing for a little bit. And I've heard about digital painting. And there's this word called compositing. Um, I guess if I can't get out into the world, I'm going to learn to bring the world to me. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what I did. I would spend eight hours a day in physio learning how to make my toes move again. And then the rest of the day I would be on the computer. And I mean, this is pre creative live. YouTube was very beta. <laughs> and you know, I was, I was just pulling water from stone, trying to find ways to do digital art because there were digital painters at the time and there were photographers and there weren't a lot of people doing both. It wasn't what it is, anything like what it is today. It's so prolific. And so when you can't get out into the world, you have to bring the world to you, or at least I did anyways. And I realized that was a way that I would be able to work as a photographer without having useful legs. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. Tell us about um, that, the story of how a picture starts, so the pre-production through an actual shoot and then to that post-production. Because you have, I think sometimes um, people who don't know much about photography look at a photograph and think all the efforts in the shoot itself but you have um 
a, a really long process before and after as well. So talk us through that. Yeah, well, so a really great example would be the Icarus shoot. So Artemis came to me and she had this idea and she said, I'm, I'm making these wings and they're going to go on my arms. And, you know, what if we did a session like that with these big wings on? And I was like, yeah, that sounds totally great. <laughs> so the, the prep the prep work there begins in, um, you know, what do the what do the what does it look like at this build that she's making? Right. And then the next one being, you know, can you handle the weight? Like, okay, you've done shibari before, you've done suspension before, but you're going to add another 40 pounds of leather <laughs> and foam and everything else onto your body. Like, can you can you handle that? So I sent her off to Heidi, the rope, the rigger that I work with a lot, and I said, so test it out. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. So they practiced and practiced and tried different shapes and tried different ties and, you know, kind of got her body used to what this was going to feel like. And then, you know, then, then we get into the studio and then it's a check-in of like, how are you feeling today? You know, making sure that there's really open and clear communication. I always make sure whenever somebody comes onto my set that they know that they can say stop. And when they say stop, we stop immediately. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how good it is. As soon as they decide that they're done, we're done. <laughs> and and it's not, oh, decided. just one minute for one more photo. It's actually, never, okay, we never, come never, down never. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah their, their, their boundaries are so important to me. And, I mean, every now and then I'll get a rope, um, you know, a bunny that comes along with an idea. And I'm like, eh, I'm not really comfortable with that. Like, <laughs> um, But not very often. But still, I mean, I have my own boundaries as well. And so I always make sure that everyone is feeling respected on that same thing with my rope artist like how are your hands doing we've been at this for six hours <laughs> we have four models today how raw are your fingers <laughs> mm -hmm. um so yeah then we start talking about like silhouette shapes and you know um i start having a conversation with the with heidi um you know most of the time it's heidi and i say like you know are we gonna are we thinking about anchoring off the hip are we thinking about anchoring off the wrists you know chest thigh you know how are we how are we distributing the weight in accordance to how gravity is going to, you know, push and mold everything around? So how do we make this look as weightless as possible when, you know, this is <laughs> this is not weightless at all? Mm. Um, you know, and then we start doing, you know, they start doing the ties and, you know, and, you know, again, that it's the whole time is like a lot of conversation back and forth with the model and being like, you know, do you need any water? Do you need fruit juice? Like, how's your ankles feeling? Make sure you're moving your hands, things like that. Because especially as the day goes on, like they get a little, you know, a little spacey. Of course. As soon as we're ready to lift up, it's a, you know, clear communication back and forth. Like, you know, okay, five minutes, two minutes, one minute, we're ready to start. Um, and all, at this point, like all my lighting is figured out. There's no guesswork by the time my subject is getting suspended. All of my lighting has been figured out before the ropes are even on them. So, you know, it's usually a lighting setup I've done before or an experiment that it's, you know, it's very clearly I'll tell people and say, I'm going to try this. I don't know if this is going to work out. How do you feel if you had to do this pose twice? You know, mm -hmm. do you think you could handle it? And if they say no, then I say, no worries. I'm going to do something that I know is going to work. And then we shoot really quickly. Um, very, very rarely. The only time people will really stay up a long time is if I'm working with a self-tire. And I work with a woman, Ardent Ascending, and she's like watching a ballet. <laughs> mm -hmm. She stays up for a really long time, far longer than I would ever keep somebody else up, but because she's completely in control of what's going on with her body. Whereas when everyone else is kind of, you know, it, it's different. 
when somebody else is tying you than to when you're tying yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when somebody else is being tied, I definitely, they're up and down sometimes less than 10 seconds and, you know, usually less than 30 seconds. Uh, and then, you know, I shoot everything tethered to the computer. So I shoot, I'll, I tether the computer to a big TV screen. So, you know, while the bunnies are laying there on the floor, all spaced out, <laughs> they get to look at the TV screen as I tap through the images that we shot and they're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. <laughs> or like, you know, they get like, they get really excited about it because I mean, it's such a fun thing because I mean, especially if they're blindfolded or something, they have, they don't really know what this looks like. And then to see it immediately on the TV screen, you know, right there is, it's such an exciting thing for everyone. And I love that part of it. <laughs> so from there, after that, we, you know, we're done the shoot, make sure they're not the ones driving home. <laughs> I always make sure they have somebody else drive them home. And then I get into Photoshop. And then from there, the, the digital art starts. Although with the Shibari stuff, most of my work doesn't have a lot of digital art, but I have some stuff coming up um, that has a little bit more magic to it. <laughs> What are the main things you do in post-prod in Photoshop for uh, rope photos? I mean, the main thing that I do is, is, uh, skin cleanup. Um, and I always, this is actually a big thing. A big part of my process is I have a conversation with the person who's being photographed and, and the rope artist. And I say, um, you know, okay, in, in post-production, is there anything you want me to keep in mind? So obviously with some of these poses, I mean, like it can be quite painful. And so they can be pushing their stomach out a little bit and like, Maybe they're not comfortable with that or they don't find it very flattering. So I always ask like, Hey, do you want me to leave this in? Or do you want me to just like tuck you back into your normal size? Um, you know, how do you feel about purple feet? Are you cool with purple feet or do you not want purple feet? <laughs> uh, so a lot of that same thing with veins, um, especially if they've been upside down for a little while, you know, you get the veins and like slightly purple face. So I'll color correct that if, if that's something that we think will benefit the image or they're more comfortable with. Um, And yeah, I mean, mostly it's mostly skin work. I mean, I don't Photoshop bodies very, very often. Like I said, it's every now and then we'll find a pose where someone like it looks really good, but oh my God, it looks like it hurts like hell. Mm. <laughs> um, so that's sometimes where I'll just like, you know, push in a little bit of, you know, their, their tummy or something. But other than that, that's kind of it until, you know, I get into, um, You know, like the more creative, like I did a, a recent one. If you go onto my Shibari gallery, you'll see some images where there, there's colored gels used. And so sometimes the colored gel on the floor or something, there will be like a, a disconnect or like a weird blending of color. So I'll, you know, color correct that out a little bit or something or add a little bit of smoke or um, like spark effects with the Icarus series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's. In, in my world, as far as digital art goes, it's, it's a lot less work than what I do on my other work. <laughs> yeah, we've seen some of your, um, I would call them cosplay shots. I don't know if it's the right thing to call them, but with very <laughs> elaborate costumes and an integration of a very fantasy background. And then the digital art aspect is much more present, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, so in that case, those images are about building a fantasy and an environment and a world for these things to exist in. Whereas for me, Shibari art is, is such a, it's such a personal experience. It's a very inner experience. So I almost feel like the digital art distracts from, you know, how beautiful and free these rope images feel to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want the digital art to, to fight with it. Uh, in terms of photographic 
approach and process. Is there anything that is specific to doing rope photos as opposed to, let's say, fashion or glamour or boudoir photos, apart from the fact that you have to manage the pain and physical intensity for the model? I mean, the biggest one is managing the physical intensity. I mean, you have to shoot so fast, like mm. with Shibar. I mean, for me anyways, and I don't know if everyone's like this, but for myself, um, you know, managing the intensity is is priority number one on a shoot because, like I said, it's not a play session, right? We're not there to, you know, take them on a, a journey and then pull them back out. It's like I need a functional human being on the other side of this rope. The, the biggest thing is just how fast you have to shoot. Like you have to have your settings dialed in. Like there's no guesswork. And whereas with, you know, glamour and boudoir and all this other stuff um, and fashion, I mean, you can, you, you have so much more time to play and so much more time to experiment. Whereas, you know, if you shoot, if you shoot a six hour rope session with someone, <laughs> that's a lot. Mm. Um, you know, and some people can handle it. No problem. But most people, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> so, you know, and the funny thing is the photography is the shortest part of all of it, you know, at least with, with the rope work, um, with fashion, you know, the photography part goes quite long because you're trying to make sure that, you know, the clothes are draping in the right way that they were meant to be represented by the designer. And, you know, the expression and the pose and everything is, is copacetic with that. Right. So it works really well together. Um, whereas Shibari is like, okay, get, them up there, you know, like raise your chin, drop your chin, close your eyes for me. Um, oh, can we just adjust her hair really quickly? Oh, she's spinning. Can we, can we spin them back around? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that happens a lot. There's a lot of like, uh oh, can we just someone run over there and just like tap them? <laughs> um, you know, so uh, it, it's just very, it's a very different vibe. And, you know, uh, you know, fashion shoots, people don't get exhausted in the same kind of way that they do on Shibari shoots. So just to pick up on that, um, we, we talk to people a lot about art uh, versus play. Where, where for you are the lines between what is art in rope and what is play or scening in rope? I mean, in my mind, for myself, my shoots are, are like, uh, they're work shoots, I guess. Is that the right... I don't know if I answered that quite correctly. Because <laughs> these, aren't, these aren't play sessions, right, mm. for me anyways. Um, you know, there's, there's no journeys here or anything like that. Um, like I have, I have stronger boundaries with that. Um, and that's just a personal preference for me. Uh, I don't feel, I can't take on the emotional space required for a play session every single time I go into the studio. Mm. I mean, would it make for very different images? And I've, I've seen photographers who photograph very intense play sessions and they have a very different feel. And I love that work, but it's also, it's also not for me, I don't think. Um, I think because, uh, how honest can I be? <laughs> you can be as honest as you want. <laughs> I just, I don't want, to get to know the people in front of my lens on that level. Mm. Um, you know, I like having a little bit of a prof professional boundary between us. Um, I want to make sure that they're safe and they know that they can say no whenever they want to, and they can say yes whenever they want to. Um, but as far as it being like, you know, a, a session of a, of a journey and everything else, I don't have the emotional bandwidth for that for every single person that comes into the studio. Yeah, you're not um, looking for that kind of intimacy at work. 
No, yeah, not at all. Um, and like I said, there's photographers who, who have that connection with their subjects, and I love that work. But it's not for me so much, um, mostly because when, like, when the shoot's over in my world, the shoot is over. Whereas if it's a play session, the shoot is over, but there's a lot that's still going to happen after that. Mm. And it should happen after that. Um, so having a professional boundary for me is, is really important. And when you look at a photo, and I don't know whether you can answer this question, what makes a rope photo art versus uh, something else? Because this is an, a question I'm very interested in understanding, like what is art in rope? Maybe it's a big question. That is a really big question. I mean, I think that the... Let me see here. I mean, <laughs> the art really comes, in my opinion, not from the photography at all. I mean, photography is very mathematical, right? I mean, then a lot of people will fight me on this online, and they do all the time. <laughs> but for me, photography isn't really art. It's more of a craft. Whereas shibari itself, when you're photographing it, you're that is where you can slide into the art world a little bit. Because, I mean, we've all seen really beautiful rope work, and you're just like, damn, they did a really good job. And then there's other rope work that you look at, and you're like, oh, well, they're learning, and that's really good, and I'm proud of them, and I hope they continue their journey safely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it, the, de the definition of what is art um, is almost the definition of what is porn, right? I mean, you know it when you see it, but it's not always something that's easily defined. And it's a very personal experience as well. You know, one person's pornography is another person's boudoir. Um, and I feel like rope is a, rope photography as well kind of falls into that, that little gray area. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today, Renee. Is there any of your upcoming projects you'd like to talk to us about in conclusion? Uh, thank you so much for having me, by the way. I super appreciate it. <laughs> um, I mean, so for myself, I'm working on an art book right now, and uh, there will be a Kickstarter launching soon. So if you go onto my website, renerobin.com, uh there you know once the kickstarter is live or at least the landing page there's going to be a link through there so um if you happen to go to my website and there's a kickstarter link then please feel free to check it out i'm working on an augmented reality art book so that sounds so cool so augmented <laughs> reality is when like you overlay digital images on top of the real world right something like that yeah sounds like you <laughs> could do a lot with that all right it was a pleasure talking to you renee no, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Um, I really appreciate your very thoughtful, thoughtful questions. So thank you for that. So that's all from us at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And also come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, where our name is also Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.